0: Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their path to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. Ben Milne, welcome back to Startup Stories. monetary had a lot of positive outcomes this year let's talk, start with the over 100 one-on-one meetings that were held between entrepreneurs and VCs. Since much of that was behind the scenes, tell us how that went.
1: It was great. We got some companies funded. Really? We, yeah. Um, we're getting good feedback from the investors, good feedback from the founders. We feel like the intent was to bring together investors and founders in a structured format where it was uh, explicit that they were there to raise capital And the other side was there to invest capital.
0: Yeah.
1: And now that we know there are commitments and companies are getting funded, we know it worked. Yeah. We know we're going to do it again. And the coordination of it was a bit of a quagmire and a learning lesson, but we are fortunate that we have some really talented folks on our team that manage the coordination. And had it been up to me, it would have been a mess because it was up to them. It went really great. (laughs) Well, I don't know that you
0: guys anticipated over 100 meetings. That was, I mean, because you guys, can, well, this was a new event this year to do those one-on-ones. And I know some of the discussions I was involved with early on, It's like, well, how many do you think we're going to get? You know, Steph and some of the others, and it's like, well, maybe we'll get 40, maybe we'll get 50. So when I heard the number over 100, I was just blown away that that many got connected. And remind me again, how many venture capitalists were here? I lost count.
1: Was I want to say it was 20 or more.
0: Okay, I was going to say it was way over 15, because at first it was 8, and then it was 12, and then just kept growing. So it sounds like, it, did it snowball, or did people start to hear and think, okay, if, if, if she's there, i got to come? Or what do you think happened?
1: Well, we, one, we tried to use our own personal networks to say, hey, we don't know if this is going to work, but we think it might, and just made an ask. Yeah. And the number of people who said, yep, we'd love to do it, we don't know if it's going to work, but we'll try it, mm-hmm. more people were supportive than we thought. And then there were some community impacts where there were funds that were invested, I think, through local companies that were a little bit smaller, who were folks I hadn't actually even heard of or met, which in a region that's as small as ours, I thought that was a a really fantastic sign. And so we started hearing from other folks, like um, M25 Ventures is one that popped up um, that I thought was really interesting, learned a little bit more about. And so the community brought in another circle and unfortunately, we hit the point where we started saying no more. Sure. And that was uh, really based on the fact that we did that at dwalla's office, and we straight up ran out of rooms. Every I room say, we had I don't know was how full. You did that at Dwolla's offices? That's... Our team didn't use meeting rooms for a day. Is how we did it. Oh, that has to be hard. It was surprising. We thought maybe we would have a line of the rooms, and mm-hmm. that would be it. And it just turned into, uh, oh my God, every room is full okay you know, we'll deal with this and we'll figure it we'll, out yeah we'll figure it out we'll do it differently next year um, but you know if 50 VCS want to be there and 500 companies want to be there we'll figure why, that out. right why would we why would we not want to help them get yeah. funded well
0: that there's a, that would be a dream to have that happen and <laughs> I'm sure we'd figure it out yep. we've got enough large corporations with conference centers I mean I can tell you the one of our principal is huge. Just their room center is amazing. So I'm guessing we could, you know, reach out to our friends and say, can we borrow some rooms? Agreed. You mentioned some people got funded. Any news yet we can talk about? Anything public?
1: I don't think there's been any press releases. Yeah. Um, I don't know uh, that the deals have closed yet. Yeah. Um, based on the messages that I've got, you know when things are moving in the right direction. Yeah. And yeah. the thing that I've kind of shared with some other people is that the stark difference between my experience with dwalla and um, these founders' experiences building their companies is that through the Silicon Prairie news events, dwalla was able to get access to some early-stage angels that were super supportive and still continue to be really supportive. Right. Those check sizes, though, or investment sizes, were not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. The numbers that we're hearing are much, much, much bigger. Good. And some of these rounds are getting anchored through the relationships at monetary. Okay. And I think that is enough proof for us to continue to do it. And we maybe underestimated the impact that we could have in helping the rounds get anchored, even on relatively standard terms, because people were discussing, like, ah, oh, this note, this other structure, do I do equity? Yeah. It's so, like, yeah. Well, this is what I would recommend. Yeah. And the feedback cycle sort of just like gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Which when you're closing your first deals is incredibly important. Well, especially for first time founders
0: that don't understand that there are pretty common terms. And you've been through this. A lot of people have been through this where you just don't know. And then you get down the road and find out your terms are causing you a headache. And uh, I think that when they get some decent advice and they get Like, what is it about outsider's advice versus people you know, right? So three people you've never met before that are VCs say, well, I would do this. And it's like, okay, that's a great idea. I'll go do that. And it's good in a sense, but it's it's just, it's one of those human nature fascination things. It's like, how does that work?
1: (laughs) Third-party feedback can be helpful for the same reason independent board members are helpful, right? And I I was surprised um, at how the recommendation of a default could be powerful in a community. And... One of the things that I advocate for with the teams that I talk to that are getting started on their journey is start with the framework of the one-page term sheet I put on my blog. Right. And there are deals that are getting closed on that framework, which makes it uh, much more defensible to say – Here's my framework as a starting point. We don't have to use my paper, but here's my framework and here's what I'm thinking. It's a point to begin a discussion at. Absolutely. When I started working through that in Des Moines, someone recommended that I do a PPM. And Christian actually showed me what a PPM was because other than Googling it, I didn't know. And then I realized what the cost of the PPM was. And that... That was what I was advised at the time to do. But think about how much money that costs. 500 grand, right? Going from hundred grand on the top end all the way to literally a one-page term sheet I got for free getting a deal done in one one-hundredth of the time. Right. That makes me feel really good because I can start to see our community and our region as a whole starting to move toward these more standard deal terms. And even though we are uh, collectively still pretty disparate, we're starting to come together and agree on what some of those best practices are and- I would I mean, agree. It's with exciting, you. it's working.
0: I can't disclose everything, but I'm on the board of both the SureTech Tech Accelerator and the Ag Accelerator, and we're seeing more and more requests for safe notes, and we're seeing other accelerators that we compete with doing safe notes. Now, I noticed that Fred Wilson did a, a post the other day where he brought back an old post that was the unsafe note post, which I think yep. is a very valuable post because it's like any document, there are good versions and bad versions. But it is very powerful to see people starting to realize, you know what? This is the way the rest of the world works. We're not... Iowa can't be different, right? And any one company really can't. You can't be different in a market or you get killed. You've got to live in the market you're in. And so I thought it was, it was powerful to see that happening, even within our own boards of these accelerators, which, by the way, a lot of these people on the boards don't have deep VC experience. These are corporate executives, very, very sharp people, but this isn't their bailiwick. So getting them convinced of this is even, in some ways, more of a challenge. This is not in their comfort zone.
1: Well, I know that... Um there's a lot of the accelerators that I'm not close to the people. And I see terms starting to standardize, and I think that's very exciting. But the people that I do know, uh, like Nicole Cook, I think are doing the right things and are thinking about how to standardize Um, deal flow to help the companies increase the probability of success long-term so they don't have exploding paperwork. Right. And (laughs) I give her a a lot of credit for that.
0: I haven't heard the exploding paperwork term, but I get the point because I've seen a few of those. I've had a couple come by my desk where I look at what they signed and said, wow, you'll never raise money again.
1: Dado, you're going to spend a hundred grand redoing the paper, right? And you got to go convince them
0: to do it. Go back to the investor and say, I have to change all your terms. Yeah. So that's one place where we're really starting to grow up. Do you think the VCs felt like they got what they were looking for by coming here?
1: Some, yes. I hope most. And I am sure others have some great feedback I have not heard yet. Okay. Right now, the signals that I am getting are overly biased around, yeah, we're doing a deal. A check's getting done. Hoorah, right? right? It's, they have something to talk about. Right, exactly. So you don't
0: know the ones that came three
1: months ago and mm-hmm. go, wow, that didn't work. Right. right. Where are the five and six MPS scores? Are there any ones or twos? So right. We don't have all that data yet. Yep. And the data we do have is still coming together. Yeah. To, to the team's credit, I think they put on a fantastic event. Oh, I do too. And that means that there is more data around the event than we thought we would have. And all of those individuals also have other day jobs. Yeah. So even though we do have a team that put on monetary, it's sort of like an exhale And we haven't quite come into the, okay, let's start actually slicing and dice this. Let's finish quarter two first. And then let's see how this kind of works into Q3 planning. Um, The great news, though, is that all the signs were so good. We know we're doing it again next year. It's going to be the week before Memorial Day, just like it was this year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep on that cadence. And that was really great because everybody needed a big exhale on an extra day after the event.
0: Yeah, and I want to make a point here because I think a lot of people don't realize that the Duala team ran this event. It was, I won't say it was all hands, but it was a lot of hands. The day we were there for the main event, you had a lot of staff in the room. And they know that has to have an impact in your company. There's no way it can't. Uh, so I, mean, I think that it, people need to recognize that, that was the investment was deep and well, it was substantial.
1: For the, for the community as well, right? And we feel True. that a big part of how we build this company is being connected to the community and being in the community and... What is becoming surprising to me is many of – we're starting to see overlap between customers, the community, um, vendors that we're working with. And so there are all these other conversations that occur that are also beneficial to those people in their day jobs. But uh, one particular person I want to really call out, his name is Ryan Bratvold. He did a fantastic job, and he was sort of the the full-time – Monetary. He was the owner.
0: In a lot of ways, he owned the deal. He owned the schedule, and I worked with him quite a bit on some things. Yeah, he did a wonderful job, and I sent him a note, told him that afterwards. So, what about the entrepreneurs that pitch the VCs? How do they react? I mean, you had some people had never pitched a VC before in their life. Uh,
1: Again, I have the I have the positive feedback right now, and the thing that I heard um, was. That for a few people, maybe not on the positive side, but it was good to get the structured feedback all at once because when you get it from five different people Mm -hmm. as opposed to just one who maybe you met at a different event, it starts to change the direction of the story, maybe the product. And while product direction shouldn't uh, come from VCs, especially not in the early days when they (laughs) might not be uh, familiar with the product in your market, if they don't understand your product, thinking about how you communicate it is also going to help you sell to customers. Oh, absolutely. So I've heard some of that type of feedback and that feedback, thankfully, when it comes in, it doesn't come in as X, Y, and Z doesn't get it. It comes in as more often than not as a humble comment. That sounds like I got to get better at this. They all, it all took me 20 minutes to get to the point. And, That was some of the feedback I got. And so good on those venture investors also for using it almost as a coaching session where maybe they weren't ready for capital. And in one particular case, that they didn't need it. The revenue was taking off. Um, The team did not need to grow dramatically. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a requirement to build something ahead of the market. And this was an example where they left and realized okay, this is not the right time. Maybe what if
0: a I want to, lesson to learn. Though. Yeah.
1: Maybe I, maybe if I want to later, I can do it on more favorable terms and finance a product expansion or a market expansion. But I don't know if I want to be in a different market. Okay. If you don't know, you want to be in a different market or grow don't faster. Go. Don't, don't like, do don't, it. Don't raise the capital. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really, really good outcome as well.
0: Yeah. You know, we do a, a, a process now that I've, we didn't have when you were raising your first round, but we, we have somebody ready to pitch for their first angel or seed money, we bring together a group of about a half a dozen angels. And we have a practice pitch. And what we do is we have the entrepreneur come in, and it's a room like this, boardroom kind of room, and they pitch it just like they would pitch it. And the angels are told to ask a few questions, whatever, but just keep it there. And then we have the entrepreneur sit down afterwards and we spend like an hour and a half. And it's powerful because, as you said, if you get five angels all disagreeing with each other, well, welcome to mentor whiplash. Okay, That's what that's called. And we laugh and we tell them, you're experiencing mentor whiplash. But when all five say, you know, option C, option C is really powerful. So we didn't understand it the way you pitched it. It has that same effect. Um, it's nice to see that opportunity where they can get more than one set of feedback at a time. Because as you experienced and many experienced, you talk to an investor, three weeks later, you might get another investor meeting. Then you talk to that investor, and then three or four weeks later, you might get another. And it drags on and it is, the data seems like it's one-off spurious data at that point. So you interviewed Matthew Prince, uh, CEO of Cloudflare. There are a couple takeaways from that talk that stuck with me. First was the, uh, I'm going to try to quote this and I won't get it perfect, but quote, the organization that pulls from the broadest pool of talent will probably win. Can you expand on that for us? I know you have a similar perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, I believe there is talent absolutely everywhere. And You could think about the broadest pool of talent in the context of a locally Mm -hmm. uh, or on a local basis where ensuring that you are talking to a more diverse candidate pool on a local level. I mean, that could be that could be that strategy. But when you start getting exclusive and you start saying we're going to only hire people this age this color. And maybe you're not going to say that directly, but maybe your hiring practices are going to reflect that. Teams that hire in that way are likely not going to win. Yeah. And I also think on the inclusive side, geography, zip codes, languages become more difficult because obviously if you don't have other people that speak that language, it's probably not going to work well. Right. But when you think about the sort of the Internet as a whole, we're all building technologies that are supposed to be eventually servicing people everywhere in the world. Absolutely. So if you are going to bring that opinion into the building of the product, you have to include really the opinions of the entire world, which is a complex thing to do. Right. But the more diverse and the more dispersed your team is, likely you know, the better opportunity you have to... Um, process feedback in that way and build a better product that can serve people globally.
0: A good friend of mine, is a lady that went and interviewed for a job and she made she came back and we were talking about it. She said the one thing that bothered me is that I, I would be the only lady working there. And it actually kept her from working at that company. And I thought to myself, you know, shame on that company for not having any ladies working there, first of all. And by the way, you just threw a roadblock to a super talented person. And I don't think people think about that is to be the only person of a type or gender or whatever um that's hard so the more diverse a base you have the broader i mean to me it's a building block it's a it's a almost a flywheel effect as well look there's some really cool people there that look like me talk like me think like me i want to go join that company because of that because the most talented people have a ton of options right i mean highly talented people today have as many options as they want to take
1: so you know that um Not knowing the company and sort of going from the angle of assuming good intent, Mm -hmm. maybe it is that they're trying to make a change. and Maybe it is that they're being more reflective. And something that I think is worth calling out is that that particular individual who probably did look or maybe even sounded different than the other people on the team, in the event that they chose to join that team and also help be an agent of change to make it better, that okay. takes an amazing amount of courage to do that. Yes, it does. And I hope that we continue to see more people coming in that we are able to help instill that level of courage in or make sure that we do not mess it up where it's already there. Yeah. Because I know that in a lot of companies that probably we're both all aware of is that this is something we need to continue to improve at. We need to be better at bringing people in, not just locally, but from outside of the community. And the way that we do that is by being more inclusive, but also empowering agents of change to help us improve our cultures. Even if our cultures are not bad, they can just evolve and continue to be better. better. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. The other mention during that talk with Matthew that kept me thinking was about their internal program, and I think it was called Return Path, But I believe the program was created to allow female employees who've had a child to easily return, uh, an easy return path to work. You mentioned bringing them back on small projects or part-time, potentially convince them to return to the workplace full-time. I thought that was pretty innovative.
1: Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Motivated mothers are some of the most incredible, hardworking people that you could possibly work with. Mm -hmm. They have a finite amount of time, they're incredibly normally well-structured, and they're very reliable. Yeah. They built their existence around helping their homes operate with predictability. Mm-hmm. And they can also help a business operate with predictability in ways that I don't know if anybody else can do that. Yeah. Now, in in our case, we have seen uh, mothers change their schedules pretty heavily. Yeah. And we're definitely very supportive of that. And I think it's the, the, the right move not to assume that the same working hours can continue. Yeah. And that's a perfectly fine thing. And actually, for some people, they can. It's a lifestyle choice, right? Yep. And we support both lifestyles. I I do think that idea of uh, when folks are ready to start working again and you build programs that are very specific to, like, reacclimation mm-hmm. to... When you're gone for three or four months and you come back, it's basically like starting your first day again. No kidding. But most companies don't treat it like that. That's something that over time I think we've needed to continue to get better at. Yeah. Because while time passes, everybody else is just like, oh, hey, welcome back. But yeah. that's not how your first day should feel. No. So I think Cloudflare is, to their credit, in a much more mature stage. And uh, you know their founding team and executive team are all very thoughtful people that it's really nice to see them setting that type of example for the rest of us.
0: I can't tell you how many women come to me that are have had one or two children and are saying, "I want to get back to work, but I can't work full time yet." And I think, and I try to connect them. And it's, it's, it, I think it's an interesting opportunity because, sure, I've got this open full time position. I'd love to fill it, but let's be honest: if you can't fill it, what good does it to sit there and say I can't fill it? How does that help you? I think the thing that comes to my mind that I've always pushed back on, and I started working in the late, in the early 80s when totally different management style, completely different, but people measured time, not deliverable. And I think if you just go focus on measuring deliverable and throw time out the window, it's, it's a really, if you can get over that hump and get over the idea of you have to be sitting at this desk all day, right? I mean, who cares whether you're at a desk all day? Uh, there's so much opportunity for people that are out there that can or don't, can't or don't wish to work entirely full-time that can do amazing work. Agreed. And sometimes they're willing to do some work that, let's be honest, isn't quite as fun. Uh, and maybe somebody wouldn't want to do it full-time because maybe it's a little bit tedious. So I, I just see that as an opportunity. So I really enjoyed the panel discussion with the, it was titled The Real Metrics of Startup Success with Martina. Um, and help me out, Lunshego. Lenchenko, Lindsay Knight, Albert Wenger, and Dave Tucker. There was a lot of talent on that uh, stage. Did you have to pay these people to come to Monetary?
1: Um, We do not pay anybody to be at Monetary. And the reason for that is because we feel that as soon as we start paying people to share their opinions that can improve the community, we are probably not bringing the right people to town. And there are a number of people who chose not to come as a function of that. And we respectfully understood. And that also uh, is something that I want to be thoughtful about the way I say it. Because if we did pay some of these people $50,000 to show up, they would have warranted that. And they care so deeply about helping our community grow that they did it anyway..
0: Yeah.
1: And if we were paying that, ticket prices would have to be three times what they were. Oh yeah. And I think that that's a very special thing and also is one of the reasons I feel an incredible amount of gratitude for the people who came and really donated their time to the community to help give us insights that hopefully help, up, help us build better companies, better cultures, better community. I think that's really special. It took a lot for them to do that.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I, 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 it's truly amazing that you got those people to do that. Martina talked a lot about, about building a culture that lets people make mistakes and learn from them. She talked about leaders uh, stating, quote, I make more mistakes than anyone else in living that culture. I wonder how surprising many in the audience found her statement. I know I've made many, many mistakes when I was leading teams.
1: Anybody who has led teams hopefully was not surprised by that. You would hope um, not, right? But to your point, there are – one of the things I, I have been very uh, surprised by is many of the younger individuals that either I've worked with or have been exposed to, the their personal acceptance of failure is very low. And they don't want to discuss where there is failures. Right. And in some of my friends who have kids that are going to college and how they think about college and how they think about what percentage of their class they're graduating in and like how harsh they are in their own internal dialogue with themselves is, is absolutely incredible to me. And I think for some of those folks that are really just getting started in their careers, regardless of what their path is, to see someone like Martina say, Hey, I make a lot of mistakes. That's okay. While they might actually be beating themselves up about where they are in line with their graduating class academically, which 10 years from now, I don't think it even matters today. But their social structures are telling them this is the thing that you have to be concerned with. Maybe it's because it's the thing you can control. Maybe. I, I don't know. But I'm hopeful that that group learned experiment more. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a really good
0: point. And you're right. It's... Just... Class architecture, where you finished in the bottom or the top of the class, has almost no correlation of all the studies I've ever seen with long-term success. And I remember there was a study years ago when this is probably in the early 2000s when the the Harvard MBA and all these, you know, you had to have one. It was just had to have one kind of thing. Somebody did a study of like the last 30 years of successful publicly traded companies and correlated the the people who ran those companies, the C-suite basically, to the school they went to. University of Wisconsin won. Now, I happen to like the University of Wisconsin, but it's not thought of in the same level as Harvard, Princeton, Yale, whatever. And I just thought that was so telling. It's like, That doesn't matter as much as you think and you're right I would say about it more in the corporate structure once you're inside because we made so many mistakes you know, we were building new technology and trying new things and How do you try new
1: things and not make mistakes if you're going to invent the future? It implies you're going to do things that haven't been done before and when you're doing things that haven't been done before the question is how fast you can iterate and learn Not whether or not some of those things will fail. Right? Anybody that wants to come in behind you and do what you've done normally has to just go repeat all of your mistakes. And so that's a difficult thing when you're building a fast growing company or you're building your idea because you start seeing everybody else's releases and you might believe that those are their successes. But those are their current experience, like experiments normally. And if you chase their experiment, by the time you actually release, the experiment to compete with them, you're kind of in a state of you're just going to repeat all their mistakes. But if you just focus on the obvious things, like talking to your customers, talking to mentors early on in your uh, career, or that career might be educational, and it might be in a non-educational environment. I don't know what it is, but talking to people who care about you about kind of what to do next in that context can be really helpful. Later in your career, talking to your customers and your peers about how to help them best? Yeah, it's amazing how those obvious things just help life be better for everybody.
0: I mean, it is obvious in hindsight, but going back to your idea of this pressure of never failing, I mean, it's you worry about what your VC's going to think if you if you made a mistake, and it's like they're expecting it. They're, they would be shocked if
1: you hadn't made a mistake, and they'd be worried. They'll be shocked if you don't tell them. That, will that be, too. That, that, that will be. That. That's the. That's the. That's a thing, right? You're absolutely right. Uh, Same
0: thing for an angel, by the way. We really prefer when somebody tells us that something's going wrong because then we have a chance of fixing it for them or helping them. There was quite a discussion about centralized versus decentralized companies. Uh, Albert mentioned GitLab. I think it was GitLab. as one of the companies that is completely decentralized. So Diwali, you guys are multi-location. How do you view completely decentralized versus multi-location
1: versus single location? I think it's company dependent. I think if you invest in it and it becomes a part of your culture... Any geographic focus, I think, can work. And for us, we have an office in San Francisco and an office in Des Moines. That's Mm -hmm. our geographic focus currently. We have some unique requirements that put us, from my perspective, into a uh, position that we need to have Offices with certain policies, procedures, and protocols attached to them, partly because of the business that we're in. Right. If we weren't in that business, would we think about team structure or maybe even geographic um, hiring differently? Probably. Yeah. And while I'm not, I'm not saying that I believe one is best. I think one is probably best for each type of company, yeah. and that tends to be reflected in you know the, the early days of the company's formation. And probably gets way more complex when a company's 20, 30, 40 years old, right? Where it gets a lot more complex. Yep. It, it, uh, you might now have a culture and a hiring practice and geographic presence uh, built in a way which maybe no longer is valid. And I don't know what that, that valid life cycle is, but I don't think we've seen it yet.
0: Yeah, and some of these companies, I think, can stay at 20 or 30 people for a long time. You know, there's certain companies that that are famous for. Everything. They only had 20 people and they sold their company for nine digits or 10 digits or whatever. Some companies you can't. I mean, some companies have, take a lot of people, and when you take them all out of the same environment, you add new challenges. And uh, so I agree with you, and I think that uh, um, it would be nice for people to stop trying to set in a fitness cookie cutter. It's always going to be this way, and just kind of flex to what's needed. I think the lack of talent to go higher is going to change it too. You don't have any choice. So
1: yeah i um i think there's probably like overly simplistic ways of like thinking about the world that the team structure is going to become what it what it needs, it needs to, be. to be and the type of company you build is going to dictate how many people work there, not necessarily uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be an indication of success, good or bad right. it, it's just some companies need more people, and that's how it works get over it. um kind of just becomes what it is. I think one of my favorite lines from this
0: event was Lindsay Knight saying that she hates the term culture fit and she prefers the term culture addition. Do you agree?
1: I agree that culture fit is concerning or can be when taken to an extreme because it could force you to think more exclusively about how do I make sure it's a perfect fit with everyone here. Right. And the culture add, I think, is totally fair in that you want all new team members to come in and expand the opportunities for the business and help bring new and diverse ideas to the table that weren't there before because it gives us all an opportunity to build better software yeah yeah i think if you're my personal read on it is if you're too far on one side versus the other then you probably have a reason to feel exactly that way or a personal experience that tells you we saw this company use culture fit, and they clearly got it got got building the company wrong. Yeah, um, and I totally agree with the in, the intent of what I believe the statement is, which let's be let's be more thoughtful about new additions to the team, bringing new perspectives that help us build a better company.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the way I took it. Was you're adding to you're making it better. I like guess this is the way I looked at it. It's like, okay, this is this ad can make it better.
1: Yeah, I think Lindsay also has a great, a much larger sample set of companies that she's currently working with to sure. know this, this term is better when applied to this particular data set or problem set. Sure. And in that way, I would totally defer to her and say, okay, founders, you should listen to this. Yes, yeah,
0: hear this. I was really happy to hear Albert say that you know bootstrap companies are built without venture capital. It does happen. And that really everyone has to figure out that one for themselves. I see so many companies being pressured to raise capital, sometimes just for the sake of raising capital. Uh, I remember you speaking some years back at Accelerate DSM about the optimal number of investors, and a good number was one. Uh, what do you see in our ecosystem?
1: I think we're remarkably self-aware of reminding people when they actually don't need to. I mean, the primary reason to raise venture capital is when you don't have enough money yourself to execute on the idea. Yeah. And many times that comes with access to a very large market. And I say that because if you're going to go serve three, five million people with a piece of software that then could go on to serve a hundred million or a billion people, mm-hmm. when you think about it in that context, There's not very many people that are first or even second time founders that have the amount of capital required to build a thing like that to actually get to those millions of people over a couple of years. There's a big capital investment just to make sure that you don't mess it up. That's not always Mm -hmm. the case though, right? You can build technology companies that could distribute through platforms that dramatically lowers your cost to actually get to your end customer and drives a ton of revenue to you. And then you've got a really good business. You don't need outside capital, right? right? Hatchlings is the perfect archetype for this locally. Yep. And maybe maybe there will be uh, a whole bunch more of those. I hope there will be. Um, I don't think we should put too much pressure on Brad to like churn out more of them. Um, <laughs> no, I just think Brad's soon enough already. Yeah, it would be great to find uh, support structures for more people like Brad. I think. Our community is very self-aware in that way. That said, um, I would love to see more people taking bigger swings. Yes. And I love that we're having a conversation about which companies don't need to raise capital. But if you're thinking about truly how am I going to spend the next 10 years distributing technology that could impact how a billion people on the planet operate the likelihood that you're not going the likelihood that you're going to need capital is very high. Yeah. And in the pursuit of some of those types of problems, the level of technical expertise that will come into the community of capital expertise, the acceptance of failure because iteration is high, that really what people end up doing is they start betting on people like in their state and their career. Yeah. Right? And they just kind of keep trying that stuff here. Yeah. We're not quite there yet, but you can start to sure. see some of the like early things percolating
0: yeah i agree so as many of my listeners know i'm
1: passionate about the value of mentors
0: uh may i ask how many mentors do you currently have
1: i couldn't couldn't count hundreds um you know i think the team i work on i count as mentors in a specific context i have coaches like many other people customers are mentors all the time
0: yeah
1: in uh state of serious distress or stress, generally speaking for myself, it's probably 10 people that whose counsel I hold in very high regard. Mm -hmm. But if it's really a high binary thing, there's only one person I need to talk to and that's Jamie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a similar view of the world. Her name is Beth. What have you learned about
1: being mentored that you can pass on to others? Just be coachable. Yeah, what's that mean? Openness to being wrong. <laughs> um, there are times where, you know, being very adamant about a about an approach is an advantage, because to build businesses that have highly complex and many times abstract solutions at the beginning, you have to be hard-headed about actually getting it to the place it's supposed to go. Yeah, and it's way harder than it is easier. But in other scenarios. You just, like, get some stuff wrong. And those mentors, hypothetically, you have enough trust with them that when they share that with you, you can hear them. And also that you have enough trust that if you're trying to work through some sort of, like, sticky or confusing situations or maybe even just ones where the the answers aren't obvious and openness to hear other opinions is very important, that sort of, like, emotional safety of coming to people with a problem, not a solution. Yeah. Is important, but it's highly dysfunctional if you do it too much at work.
0: Sure. What's it like for you when others ask advice from you, putting you in the role of the mentor, especially outside your company? Just the people coming to you from the community, the public, otherwise, what's that like for you?
1: Sometimes it's easier than others. Yeah. I mean, there are times where it's it's very exciting, and this is uh, this is where the give first sort of uh, method is really beneficial. Because helping people actually is, like, really fulfilling. Oh, it's really fulfilling. It's energizing to me. It's it's wonderful. And on the flip side of that, I have certainly become more self-aware about how introverted I am and when, like, I am out of energy. And there are times where I am out of energy and the number of requests coming in are, they're so far beyond my ability to actually sure. respond. Yeah. But those are times where... I'll be honest, it's pretty tough, and that's a balance I haven't found yet because sometimes a founder is trying to close around, and like I'm exhausted. I can't answer email for three days, right. and at this point in my life, I know that means I actually need to sleep. I need to go hang out with my kids. Yep. I need to listen to some music. I need to go for a bike ride until my legs feel like they don't work. Batteries need to be recharged. Yeah. I, I need to do some other things, yeah. and that's a place where then when I go read it, I feel like I failed failed the founder. Sometimes those are diligence requests for other companies. Yeah. Sometimes it's a customer that really needs something or a team member that really needs something. And striking that balance, I think, is something that's, that's pretty tough I haven't figured out. I always want to help, and sometimes my desire to help um, is it exceeds my capability to help from a time perspective. And that's certainly been a learning lesson that I'm kind of trying to find a healthy balance for.
0: So, for those of you listening who are looking for a mentor and those who want to give back by being a mentor, check out slash mentor connection. Ben, I really want to thank you for joining us on Startup Stories today. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to monetary 2020.
1: Thanks for your support. Thanks for being there. I'm pumped for it too.
0: Thanks for listening to the Small Business and Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com slash business. Thanks for listening.